Hello and welcome to Ashurst's Women in Tech podcast series. We're very excited to be back for a second season. In this series, we share the stories of inspiring women working at the intersection of innovation, law and technology. If you haven't listened to our first season, you can find us under Ashurst's Legal Outlook podcast on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Danae. I'm a senior associate in Ashurst's digital economy team. The Ashurst Digital Economy team supports clients' digital strategies and identifies how they can leverage new technologies from a legal perspective. And I'm super excited to share some examples of that with you today while chatting to our guest. In today's episode, we have a conversation with Rebecca Cope, a partner in Ashurst's digital economy team in Sydney. In our discussion, Rebecca will reflect on her unique and successful career the importance of being flexible, of being open to and making the most of opportunities and finding the courage to pivot. Here's our conversation. So Rebecca, thanks for joining us today on the Ashurst Women in Tech podcast series. It's really great to speak to you. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So let's start with the journey that's led you to where you find yourself in your career today as a partner in our Sydney digital economy practice. Did you always know you wanted to work in tech? Uh, short answer, no. Um, I think uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's been a, a series of happy accidents, some of them by design. But no, I think uh, I've, I've had several career ambitions along the way. I think at, um, at university, I uh, did international relations as my second degree and I was 100% going to be a human rights lawyer and taking down international criminals in The Hague and all that sort of thing. And then um, sort of quickly learned that I needed to make some money to pay rent and so pivoted to, <laughs> to <laughs> left all of those ideals by the side of the road and, yeah, pivoted into wanting to be an insolvency and restructuring lawyer. And so I did all of my clerkships in um, that area. I always, um, when I chats to junior lawyers I always sort of tell them you know don't necessarily have just one thing in mind because I think you're going to try a few things along the way and sort of be open to doing rotations in teams where you think you might not have an interest because you know the reality of practicing law is often very different to university or television sounds a bit trite to say that but um uh, yeah, so that, that's where I started, did clerkships in solvency and restructuring, then uh, moved into a property rotation and then did a rotation uh, in a Brisbane office. So it was a lot of uh, different practice areas that were sort of smushed together into one practice area just because of the size of the market. So I did some TMT, some um, IP, as well as some competition. And uh, yeah, then I then I moved into competition law and did eight years as a competition lawyer and uh, then took a job at uh, Australia's National Broadband Network, which was a startup at the time that I kind of moved in there. And um, that was how I ended up doing tech, <laughs> was sort of moving into, into telco and then, yeah, moving my way sort of into a, a tech team here at Ashurst, um, who'd been doing some work with NBN. And yeah, I, I sort of fell fell in love with it. Basically, I think maybe I was always meant to be a, a tech lawyer, but I just took the the long way around to get there. I think what I really like about what you've just said is this concept of happy accidents. Because I think I've had a similar experience in my career. I started off in disputes and happily found my way into tech. Happily tech found me, whatever it is. I really, I, I really like that. So I I want to talk a bit more about your transition 
from being a competition lawyer, right, to moving into tech. And when you said you you moved from a firm into a, a telco startup, was that a move straight from a competition role or, or from a competition role straight into a tech role? Or was there a kind of a transition between your role as a competition lawyer into a tech role? Uh, so the role that I moved into was a, I guess, a commercial contracting kind of role. So it was very, it was very different to being a competition lawyer. In fact, I, I remember the general counsel asked me in my, I think, third round interview for the job, you know, wh- why shouldn't we hire you? And I basically said, because I don't think I'm qualified. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, he sort of gave me some words of wisdom, which was, uh, which I've, I've sort of carried forward into, you know, now being on the, the other side and, and hiring people. He's like, sort of, I, I look for people who are smart and willing to learn and interested. And if they don't have the particular technical skills, that's something we can teach them, but we can't kind of teach them how to be interested in an area and we can't really teach them how to fit in well with the team. So as long as you're ticking all of those boxes, we can give you the the additional sort of technical skills to to get you up the curve. So I, I was really glad he he took that approach because I, I did move into doing something very different to what I had before. That's really great advice. Um, I think particularly for women and young lawyers looking to make a change or actually just um, starting off in their career. Mm. Just on this kind of pivot point, so to speak, in your career, I think it must have been whether it be scary or intimidating to have been faced with this change and to make this big change. I mean, let's talk a bit about, you know, where you found the courage or what was the reason behind the big change and how you you ended up working through that. Yeah. In hindsight, it was probably a case of feeling a little burned out at the time um, and and sort of wanting to, to just try something different because I felt that what I was doing wasn't working for me. But I feel like this is part of the, the happy accident, which was this opportunity came up. It, it seemed like a great opportunity in that it was this government-owned startup business that was going to have to scale incredibly quickly because they were building a broadband network for the entirety of Australia. And it was, you know, a big, exciting project, very much build the boat as you're rowing it kind of vibes, um, <laughs> <laughs> which, which seemed exciting and new and just completely different from what I was doing. So I was very much just rolling the dice on doing something completely different just to see if that, you know, would would change the way that I, I sort of felt about going to work and, and what I was doing. So, yeah, I think I think I was very lucky that I landed somewhere that was an amazing experience and did actually lead to me to what I really wanted to do. But, yeah, in hindsight, maybe I, I could have taken a holiday and, and refreshed myself and felt different about remaining where I, in the kind of law that I was. But, again, I think looking back on it, like I really enjoyed my time as competition lawyer and I worked with some, like, amazing partners and I was still working basically in the same industry. So I was doing work for the sort of the, the media and telco kind of industries. So I did have that kind of background. I guess when my advice unsolicited um, for junior lawyers moving through is to you know try and find an area of law where the nature of the practice really suits your personality. So, um, mm. you know, I I really enjoy negotiating, enjoy being in the room. I like I like having the going through the strategy, having the argument, and yeah. I feel like doing that in a commercial setting you can have a bit more fun with it, I think, because negotiating against a regulator is, you know, quite fraught and you're trying to <laughs> go softly, softly. But yeah, great. I mean, great, great skills to to kind of have and build on. That's great. Um, and we certainly welcome your advice throughout the episode. Certainly not unsolicited. Okay, let's 
move on to your decision to move back into practice. We often find that, or we more often see kind of lawyers moving out of practice into an in-house role, but you you actually moved back into practice. What went through your mind at that time? I'm a glutton for punishment? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. So look, I, again, I really enjoyed my time in-house. When I first moved across, I went straight into probably one of the the largest transactions um, ever in Australia. Like I think the the value was in the the high billions. And I, I had a moment of <laughs> this is probably the biggest transaction I'll ever work on. Uh, and you know, it was <laughs> it was really punishing. It was long hours. There were hundreds of lawyers working on it. It was very fulfilling. Uh, and I think you kind of you know, got a bit of that deal adrenaline going. It was great to have it all signed and and tucked away. I think it took a little while to sort of come off that uh, that deal high to come back to everyday life. And I, I sort of found myself, I guess, wanting to chase that again um, in that, you know, that it was when you're in-house, you may, it, it totally depends on the company, obviously, but in this particular instance, you know, there was only going to be a few of these kind of size deals in the whole life of the company. And they just sort of finished that one. I didn't really feel like there was another one coming shortly. So yeah, I think I, I kind of missed that. I also missed just having the variety that you get when you're in private practice, you know, just being able to do something different for a different client and sort of getting in to know their business and how, do, how does it work. And so, uh, yeah, I guess it's kind of two sides of the same coin. When you're in-house, there's the benefit of knowing one client really, really well, and you can, you know, do things and you know things that you would never as a as the private practice lawyer who kind of comes in and does one project and then um, dips out again. Uh, but yeah, I think I was just really chasing that the next big deal and was also just really chasing that that variety that we get in private practice. It's very interesting to hear you tell the story because I think I had a I've also had a similar experience again, I think. So I left practice as well. <laughs> I didn't go in-house, but I did find myself after a few years out of practice thinking, you know, I, I do miss the challenge it would be good to be you know to get more involved in like the really meaty mm. complex transactions and I think I don't know I'm thinking of a specific transaction that you and I both yes. worked on and I think um, that certainly very much delivered <laughs> scratch um, that itch for you <laughs> yeah exactly um yeah yeah no I actually that that was something else that kind of irked me being in-house was I would finally get something really interesting and I'd have to give it to external counsel to do because it was too <laughs> complex or too large and, and I was like oh but I want to do yeah. that yeah, yeah yeah so let's I think move slightly away from your career journey um I've been burning to ask you this question I, I've done a bit of research on this and I think it's safe to say that recent statistics continue to show that law firms have higher attrition rates amongst young female lawyers. And I'd actually, as a partner, love to get your thoughts on this and how you think firms can can change this pattern. So I, I wish I had a, a nice crisp answer for you um, today, but um, I think look, uh, without wanting to come across as a bit of a politician, I think it is important to recognize that we are in a, a much better position than what we ever have been in terms of, you know, we have more female graduates than male graduates at the moment coming through. That's certainly been the case for law schools for a long time. But I, I mean, I agree that that's not showing itself in senior management numbers. It's not showing itself in female partnership numbers, although they're also on the 
increase. And so, you know, it is something that law firms can't kind of rest on their laurels and say, oh, well, we've got, you know, a 30%, for example, female partnership, well done us. It, it is something that needs to be thought through and invested in. In terms of what's causing it, I, I think there's so many <laughs> different causes of it. First of all, I'd say there is some limitations on the nature of the law firm business. It's still very traditional, I think, um, although a lot of firms like to, uh, you know, try and innovate and, and be on the cutting edge. I think as an industry, we're often coming behind uh, other mm. <laughs> types of types of firms, types of corporations who are sort of moving a bit more agile um, in how they, they innovate and reshape uh, how their services are delivered or reshape how their teams are constituted. We're still very much a traditional kind of service provider, you know, a pyramid structure with, you know, fewer partners and we have senior associates and, you know, fewer senior associates than we have lawyers. There's still really only those, you know, three to slash four job titles um, if, if you're staying in the, the legal side of the business. You know, I think there's some reasons for that, you know, our kind of industry-wide, there are things like ultimately we're service providers and if we don't provide a certain level of service to our clients it's a highly competitive industry there's lots of other places to go so it that does present challenges for um you know trying to do things like manage workloads manage deadlines push back to try and allow teams to have proper flexibility to allow people to work part-time on a sort of fulfilling basis and and just generally trying to manage work-life balance. I mean, there's certainly more that we could be doing in that space, but yeah, there, there are definitely constraints presented by the industry itself. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think where all of that was really coming from is that, you know, the reality is that when you're talking about, you know, like a a heteronormative couple, it's still a fact that women carry most of the burden of you know, running the household, elder care, childcare, all that sort of thing. Mm. Um, and so that does mean that things like flexibility and managing work-life balance and things like that are still things that if we do them poorly, they'll disproportionately affect female lawyers in the firm. But um, again, they're not exclusively female issues, which I, I think is kind of where my thinking is on this one, which is trying to redress the issues that are leading to greater attrition in female lawyers is just going to benefit everyone in the firm because you you kind of, there are, you know, lots of our male colleagues are taking advantage, for example, of our 26-week um, parental leave policy, and that's fantastic. Yeah. And I think things like that uh, take a while to wash through, but they do certainly help to to shift the needle, I think. Yeah, I, I wish I had a, a solve. I think part of it as well is just representation, you know, the whole you can't be what you can't see kind of thing. So I guess yeah. getting more female, female partners through, putting them into more senior positions, just doing a plug for myself here. Um, but I, I, think, <laughs> I do think that, that that genuinely helps because if you see someone in a position that you would like, to, that you can see yourself in, um, and you think, you know, they're doing it in a, a way that you would also want to do it. I think that that really helps. I mean, part of me is hoping it's it's a generational shift that's kind of coming through. I find myself in meetings where some older partners are talking about millennials, like they're 25 years old, and I have to remind them that I'm a millennial. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like we're coming. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Exactly. Um, so yeah, if you want to think, if you want to know what the millennials are thinking, we can we can answer that question. Yeah, let's talk. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't think any of that is, uh, I, I don't have the answer basically, but I, I do think it is a real problem. And I think it's one that needs to keep being talked about and we can't be complacent about. I agree with you. I think we have come a long way as an industry and not to sound like a broken record, we do still have a ways to go, right? And what I, and I, I certainly don't have the answer myself. And what I've recently been mulling over, so to speak, is whether we can think of smarter ways to support young female lawyers mm. through their career journeys in practice and, uh, you know, whether that be through a form of mentoring and coaching. In the series, we do speak to to guests about mentoring and coaching specifically. Yeah. I mean, I certainly from experience have found that where I have had mentors to work with and uh, you know to support me I've certainly those have been times in my career where I I have felt most supported mm -hmm. and, and that I look on in certainly in a very positive light so to speak yeah no I, I agree mentoring can be really valuable and, and whether that's having mentors of the same gender or mentors of different genders it all helps you can pick up lots of little uh, good things as you go along from lots of different people. Let's move on to my second last question for you. Mm. Back to your career. Do you have a, a moment or a moment or two that stands out to you as one of your biggest career highlights? It's always difficult to answer this one because it kind of it goes back to like, oh, what's what makes something a highlight for you? And um, as you know, so you know, we practice in an area of technology and data and a lot of things that can sometimes be a bit ephemeral. That's kind of what attracts me to doing some of the more uh, digital infrastructure type projects because you can actually mm -hmm. see them <laughs> and you can annoy friends and family by pointing out things on the street and go, see that? <laughs> I wrote the contract that <laughs> resulted in that being there. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, um, you know, like the, the project that uh, you alluded to before, you know, um, doing sort of subsea cable work is incredible because the work that you do has a, a physical manifestation and it literally impacts the lives of millions of people mm. on an everyday basis. Yes. And that I think that I find that personally really fulfilling. So working yes. on those kind of mega projects in the digital infrastructure space is amazing. And I think this is why my, what I'm going to say is my career highlight is a bit of a, a small and probably super nerdy one. But when I was, uh, when I was working uh, for NBN, um, I was negotiating contracts in respect of a particular technology called HFC. And when the rollout came to my place, that was the technology that I received. And so, uh, yeah, actually having um, um, you know, the technician turn up to install my connection um, was was a bit of a moment of, oh gosh, this is where hours and hours and hours of my life was dedicated to and I'm actually getting to experience the thing that has been built and it's actually delivering data directly to my house. So that was pretty cool. That's really cool. I agree. So our last question, this is a question we love asking all our guests. What advice would you give your younger self? I think... A lot, but I might start with a, a flippant one and then maybe something a little bit more useful. I'd say the first one is, oh my God, if you're going to wear heels, always have a pair of flats in your handbag. I, even if you're catching a taxi, I absolutely destroyed my heels, destroyed my feet as a junior lawyer. It's it's a terrible thing to do. Um, 
on a at a more meaningful level, I'd say uh, absolutely keep in mind that it's really important to be flexible. That things will are guaranteed not to look the way that you think that they will look yeah. or the way that you think that they should look, and being flexible is really important in your career. And it also, if you have a, a flexible mindset, I think it enables you to try and spot opportunities more readily because you're not just looking for a straight line opportunity. You're actually kind of scanning the horizon and potentially seeing opportunities that you would have otherwise missed. So, you know, is there an opportunity to move into, you know, a different type of law? Is there an opportunity to get an experience that you don't have, even if maybe you know, initially you're not drawn to that experience. Is that still something that maybe would be good for you to do? And, or, you know, or is, are you feeling uncomfortable about doing something because you don't, you haven't done it before and therefore you, you know, you're avoiding mm-hmm. that type of work uh, where in reality, probably the best thing to do is to dive in and just give it a go. Um, yeah. And you never know, that might actually be the thing that you find most interesting. I'd say try and be flexible, scan the horizon for opportunities. If an opportunity comes up and it's something that can be win-win for you and the person who you're talking to, then that's always a good one to, to go for. I think what I really like about what you just said is, and certainly my takeaway is that as female lawyers don't have to have everything figured out at the outset. Absolutely. It's actually great to leave room for happy accidents to occur and to be, I suppose it's a bit scary, the uncertainty and all that, but just trusting the process and trusting that it is a happy accident. And, you know, a pivot may seem scary or big change may seem scary, but finding the courage to just do it. Because I think, you know, as women, we just do it, right? Thank you very much for joining us today and for all your, well, for telling us your story and for the advice that you've woven in so very helpfully. Thank you. No, my pleasure. Thank you very much. I love these podcasts. So thank you for doing them today. (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for listening to season two of Ash Host's Women in Tech podcast series. If you enjoyed this episode and want to listen to the rest of the season or catch up on season one of our Women in Tech podcast, Please subscribe to Ashurst Legal Outlook wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, feel free to leave us a rating or review. If you'd like to find out more about Ashurst's digital economy team, please visit www.ashurst.com. Thanks very much for listening and goodbye for now.